The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Knowing how you grew up with your dad being a coach, did you always want to be a quarterback? And um, if so, what, what other position did you play? And if not, what kind of was the reason why you picked quarterback well, I didn't. I didn't pick quarterback. I got to my first PB practice, and the coach at the time, Coach Sam Smathers, I still see him all the time when I go back back home, and he basically just asked me if I wanted to be quarterback. And I said, No, not really. But then he was like, Well, you're going to be quarterback. Too bad. <laughs> and if you weren't a quarterback, what position would you play? Well, I wanted to be a running back or a receiver. I don't know, I don't know why. I just. <laughs> I guess I thought in Kiwi football we weren't going to throw the ball very much, so I wanted to have the ball in my hand. Obviously, I'm glad it worked out the way that it did. Uh, you know, this is my career. I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd be an NFL wide receiver. I'd, that's probably a pipe dream, but I can play quarterback pretty well. Thursday edition of PFTPM. He's Miles Simmons. I'm Mike Florio. We're here for the next hour. That explanation from Joe Burrow about how he just kind of stumbled into quarterback, it kind of reminds me of the Chris Sims theory on how Blake Bortles became a quarterback. Far different outcome to the career. (laughs) But Sims' theory is that at youth football practice, they just said, hey, you're kind of big. You kind of look like a quarterback. Why don't you play quarterback, even though, as Sims says, Blake Bortles was not put on earth to play quarterback. Joe Burrow clearly was. Uh, Yeah, I think we can say that. I mean, Blake Bortles, maybe he would have been better at, like, being a tight end, you know? That reminds me of, like, he – because his body type and his size reminds me of the tight ends that I would, like, see in high school playing – and like maybe because I mean he did get to be you know one of thirty two starting quarterbacks so it's not like Blake Bortles is awful 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 but he's certainly not good enough to continue to be a starter Joe Burrow obviously though is definitely uh, put on this earth to be a QB and one thing I admire about Blake Bortles he's made more than enough money that he doesn't have to keep hanging around and hanging around and waiting to be that guy that gets a phone call to show up for a weekend because a team is down to its third-string quarterback and needs someone else on the depth chart or someone else as an emergency option. He could easily say, I got a big contract on the way in as the third overall pick. I got a second contract that I shouldn't have gotten. I assume he has some of it left, and he doesn't need to be scratching and clawing for any random NFL paycheck he can get. So I kind of respect him for that. Although at some point it is over. At some point he has to get on with what Chuck Knoll used to tell the Steelers players was their life's work. At some point Blake Portals needs to get on with his life's work. Still a young guy. Speaking of Chuck Knoll, by the way, and sorry to filibuster, but I'm going to anyway. The Terry Bradshaw going deep, NFL Films production on HBO, is awesome. I know, Peacock, I know. Don't send your patrol of 
flightless birds with gigantic feather tails after me. I'm sorry that we don't have it. But I've got to say, respect where respect is due. The Terry Bradshaw going deep is very well done. Okay, well, I'll probably check that out. I mean, I'm certainly more interested in seeing that than Back to the Future. So that that sounds really interesting. Do you know who Terry Bradshaw is? <laughs> yeah, he's the the Fox analyst. He, he does the yeah. pregame show. Yeah, <laughs> he's also the quarterback. Yeah. Do you know anything Turkey else Jones about threw it? Down. Yeah, Turkey Jones threw his ass down and like potentially broke his neck, and that play was a flag even in the '70s. That's how bad that was. That play was a suspension, I think, even in the 70s. At a minimum, it was a fine. I can't remember if he got suspended. He may not have gotten suspended, but he definitely got fined, which didn't happen back then. So check out Going Deep on the HBO Max platform, but not right now. And after you've watched everything on Peacock, once you exhaust every TV show, every movie, every sports show, once you watch all the Olympics, once the Olympics is over, then you can... You've got permission to watch Going Deep on HBO Max. All right, let's get to it. Uh, The Brian Flores lawsuit and the ramifications continue to reverberate throughout the NFL. It's been a strange 18 hours or so. You know, initially, the people who were targeted by the Brian Flores allegations decided that their best course of action was to say nothing. Late last night, Stephen Ross couldn't stay silent anymore. I think he started to realize this is pretty serious. I can't just keep my mouth shut about this kind of an accusation if it's not true i need to be shouting it from the rooftops so we got a very strongly worded statement from stephen ross last night calling the allegation that he offered a hundred thousand dollars per loss to brian flores back in 2019 malicious and defamatory and the kind of words that make you think maybe he's thinking about pursuing legal action enter john elway he issued a statement today on his own you know he's no longer technically I don't want to say an employee, but he doesn't have a title. He's an advisor now with the Denver Broncos. He is in the process of easing out of the organization. He's helping GM George Payton, but he was the GM back in 2019 when they hired Vic Fangio. And there's Elway's statement. While I was not planning to respond publicly to the false and defamatory claims by Brian Flores, I cannot be silent any longer. With my character, integrity, and professionalism being attacked, I took Coach Flores very seriously as a candidate for a head coaching position in 2019 and enjoyed our three-and-a-half-hour interview with him. Along with the rest of our group, I was prepared, ready, and fully engaged during the entire interview for Brian to make an assumption about my appearance and state of mind that morning was subjective, hurtful, and just plain wrong. I interviewed Brian in good faith, giving him the same consideration and opportunity as every other candidate for a head coaching position in 2019. Elway separately said in that statement that they had flown in overnight after interviewing a candidate in Denver because, see, at the time, Flores working for the Patriots, Patriots in the playoff chase that resulted in the Super Bowl 53 championship, they had to go to him. So if he was disheveled, and that was Flores' conclusion, that they were hungover, that the Broncos contingent was hungover. And Elway said, if we looked disheveled, it was because we were in a plane all night and didn't sleep, basically. So the battle has been joined. Now, when he says false and defamatory, Miles makes me think he's thinking about pursuing his options as well against Brian Flores, but it's changed since we did this last night. Two of the guys implicated by Flores having some strong things to say in opposition to his contentions. Yeah, and, you know, I I don't necessarily 
think that that's entirely unexpected, right? I, I think that certainly once somebody has uh, an accusation against you, you do have the right to defend yourself to that accusation. And at this point, it's kind of a, a he said, he said sort of deal. Um, when you're thinking about, you know, what these statements are and the lawsuit and the, the complaint versus what Stephen Ross had to say and what John Elway had to say. But then you also have reports like that one from um, the NFL media's Cameron Wolf, where he said that there is someone who can corroborate um, what Brian Flores had to say about the $100,000 payments for losses. So, uh, you know, that's one thing that's there. And obviously there were other people in that Broncos contingent, you know, that would have interviewed Brian Flores. And so that's where it's like, you know, what what are we ever going to know about what the truth is, especially in that particular situation with the Broncos? It's like uh, there two people can have very, very different perceptions of the same exact thing where something is going on. I mean, look, Brian Flores can really perceive that he's not being taken seriously in an interview, even though John Elway can think he's presenting himself as somebody who is taking this seriously. But I mean, I think we've all maybe been in situations where you're in an interview, you're in a meeting and a superior of yours just doesn't seem to be paying any attention to what you're saying. And from that perspective, I'm like, I. I understand why Brian Flores would be extremely annoyed by that. So I, I guess I, I say all that to say, I, I'm not entirely surprised that Elway and that Ross have come out as strongly as they have against what uh, Brian Flores leveraged against them. I will say this, though. If you're Brian Flores and you are going to make strong allegations like that in support of your claims, he didn't have to join the Broncos. He didn't have to go back to 2019 and accuse them of conducting a sham interview and not having any real interest in hiring him to be their head coach. He didn't have to make those allegations. I am a firm believer that you need to make your strong allegations with precision. It can't be close. It can't be a matter of interpretation. You got to be able to prove it. And I said yesterday, When a guy is willing to risk his career when he comes to the table with claims like this, that gives it an instant boost of credibility for me. But the problem is, Miles, if you overreach with one, it makes it harder to make the others stick. Because if one can be proven to be not credible, then credibility questions arise about the ones that may be 100% accurate. So don't dilute your strongest points Don't dilute the things you can prove with a corroborating witness like the $100,000 offer. Don't do that and then have some other claim that, you know, because what's going to happen is they're going to parade in one after another of the Broncos people who were there. And they're all going to say the same thing John Elway said. And you, Mm -hmm. you reach a critical mass. And I've been there and I've done that and I've learned it the hard way. You reach a critical mass of witnesses who will tell the same story where you just get a visceral sense. and They can't all be lying. They can't all be lying. It's imp- just like the Deshaun Watson thing, like somewhere between exactly three, and, yep. three and 22, somewhere you hit a number where you say they can't all be lying. Right. And that's why I, like, I don't really love playing like what's both sides of this. And like, that's kind of what I feel like I just, I did with the first thing I said, but I agree with you that 
when you have somebody who is literally risking his career in order to make these claims, then that definitely boosts the credibility of it in my mind. Because it's like, why would he lie? Why would he just bring this up out of nowhere when you have something that's a little bit more concrete, if you want to call it that, from what he experienced with the Giants a few weeks ago, and also what he, uh, we assume, is, uh, um, experienced with Stephen Ross and being his employee over the course of three years, right? So this is going back to something where you're saying, all right, well, if this really happened, then why or if this did not happen, then why would Brian Flores bring it up in this context where we already have heard now that there is somebody who can corroborate what happened with Stephen Ross? Right? I, I, and, but it's also true that if this one is not proved to be deemed to be credible, then yeah, that's going to hurt everything else that he's saying. And I, I don't know. I mean, I guess as somebody who would like to see change in the hiring practices, I don't really want that to be the case. Right. But, but Miles, here, here's the thing. There's two different realities. And what you said earlier was 100% accurate. This is the way human beings process information. And you can have multiple different interpretations of the same event that plays out in front of people. They see yes. it with their naked eyes, unblinking clockwork orange style. And they still, they still have a different interpretation between the time the information goes through their eyes to their brains, stays in their brains, mixes in with all sorts of other crap, and then later comes out their mouths. It can be completely different. My point is this. The world changes when you go to court. The world changes when you're trying to convince a jury, a judge, whoever, that you're right because it's impossible to engineer the benefit of the doubt because everything you do, everything you say, they are throwing mud back at you any way they can, every way they can. If you watched any of the hearing today, not a hearing, a hybrid roundtable, whatever that means, regarding the Washington football team investigation, you would see the questions, how different they were based upon whether or not the person asking was Democrat or Republican. But you see how the mud gets thrown when it's time to discredit people. And it's so reckless and at times it seems so weird, but you have to stand up in that storm and tell your story. So you better be damn sure you can tell a story that holds up under questioning. Goodfellas, Henry, Henry, I'm concerned you may not hold up under questioning. You got to be able to hold up under questioning. So you got to pick a horse that you know will ride. That's my point. And right. if you're not 100% sure you can sell this notion that a bunch of drunken stumble bums walked into the room, unless you got pictures on your phone or something like that, you're running the risk that you are going to step on a rake when the time comes to prove it. That's all I'm saying. I would like to think that Flores' lawyers would have told him that, right? what you just said. You know, I'd like to think it too, but it doesn't always happen that way. Well, well I guess not everybody was as good a lawyer as you used to be. Maybe you should no, have stayed no, in it. Trust <laughs> No, it's easy for me to say it now because I have the scars on my ass, okay? That's why they yeah. call it practice of law. Yeah. You need to practice in order to get better. And most of the things I learned were from my F-ups, not from the days that things went well. Trust me. Oh, I learned a lot of things the hard way. So.
Oh, I believe that. That's my effort of humility. But it's also 100% accurate. And that's my point. Whatever you're going to accuse someone of, you better be able to back it up because they're going to do everything they can to make it look like you're not telling the truth. And if they can undermine your credibility in one area, it necessarily undermines your credibility in the other. Let's pivot to the Stephen Ross statement from last night because you mentioned the Cameron Wolf report on NFL Network. This is fascinating to me because Ross comes out with that statement. Talked about it earlier. Strong statement. False, malicious, and defamatory. Never addresses, directly or indirectly, the report from NFL Network, which is partially owned by Stephen Ross. You know, I made that point on Twitter last night. I was amazed how many people were confused. Oh, did he invest in it? Folks, folks, <laughs> NFL Network is the NFL. The NFL owns NFL Network. So the NFL is made up of the 32 teams. The 32 teams own NFL Network. People think that the name was licensed to some external body, and that's what it should be, frankly. But in this case, you have NFL Network, partially owned by Stephen Ross, reporting that there's a witness... Not that would corroborate Ross, a witness that would corroborate Brian Flores. Mm-hmm. Statement doesn't address that. And this is where Ross has to be careful because he's putting a lot of eggs in a basket that may not have a bottom on it. And this thing's going to get very interesting because, Miles, this is kind of too inside baseball for most people, but I think it's fascinating to people in the business. Number one, NFL Network clearly got itself onto a proverbial third rail with this. Did they know? that they were doing it and do it anyway, or did they stumble onto it? That's what I'd love to know. Did they have any idea the implications? Because Cameron Wolf just kind of said it during a report. It wasn't the headline, but then they wrote something about it and put it on NFL.com. That's how I found out about it. I just wonder at what point the danger lights started to flash that this is going to be a major deal because it helps to show that one of the owners of NFL Network engaged in a federal crime potentially. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's that's kind of the risk you take when you start employing people who have been real reporters and then they go in there and then a big story happens and they start reporting and then they do the job that they were ostensibly hired to do. Right. So, I mean, it's not entirely a shock to me. The Cameron Wolf, who has been employed by, you know, different news organizations in the past, started doing the thing that he's always done. And he started being a reporter. He started reporting and he got a pretty interesting element out of this story. And frankly, it's going to be pretty darn important going forward, because if somebody can corroborate that, that's huge. And it really does give merit and it makes, you know, what uh, Brian Flores is alleging a lot less baseless if you can corroborate that by at least one other person, let alone there could be other people who could also do it. So, I mean, yeah, I don't I don't know if it's, you know, maybe they did stumble upon it. Maybe there's somebody that isn't too happy, you know, that there was NFL media that initially reported that. But, yeah, I mean, look, look it, he was doing his job in reality. At least that's the way I see it. We had this conversation several weeks ago, though. It's fundamentally different when you go to work for a team or for the league. And Mike Silver, remember the things he said on the Tim Kawakami podcast? He understood walking through the door. There are certain things he can't touch now that he could have touched before. I'm just curious. Was this 
courageous or was this foolhardy? I'd love to know. I'd love to know whether someone said, whether it's Cameron Wolf, producer, editor, were people saying, we know that this is going to cause a problem. We know that Stephen Ross could end up doing a perp walk. We know that he could be prosecuted. We know he could lose his team. But we're still going to go with this. Or was it, well, this is interesting. Let's just go ahead and do it. Oh, wait, what? Oh, oh, really? Oh, oh. So it's one or the other. Can't be both. There's no middle ground. They either knew damn well what they were doing, and they did it anyway, or they had no idea. (laughs) And because that's that's (laughs) what happens. And let's take it one step farther. We got other stuff to talk about. Humor me, Miles. Humor me on this. Well, what choice do I have? What (laughs) happens? Well, you can leave. I can do it myself. I mean, I got abandoned by Sims the other day because he had a reaction to the booster. I can carry it for the next 40 minutes. Anyway, uh, you can walk off like they did last night on The Masked Singer. You can just walk off. I can take off my mask and be Rudy Giuliani, and you can walk off. I can't wait to see. I've never watched that show. Talk about the ultimate viral marketing. The moment when Robin Thicke and Ken Jeong walk off because the guy takes off the mask, and they say, can you, can you take off that mask too? Uh, anyway, uh, what was I saying? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Thought escaping. Thought escaping. I got to reel it in here. No, but, but, but but let me, let let me, let me say, let me say what I was thinking. Okay. But no, it was, it was a good point. It was a very good point about, oh, I got it. I got it. (laughs) Wait, I had it. Um, what happens? Here it is. What happens when Roger Goodell wants to know who the witness is that Cameron Wolf didn't name. How does that work? That's a great question. You work for Roger Goodell. Well, I'm sorry, boss. Even though your name is imprinted on every one of my paychecks, I can't tell you because of the journalistic principles that I have been required to uphold. Oh, you mean like the one that says you shouldn't accept paychecks from the entity that you cover? Those principles, Cameron? Well, yes, those principles. <laughs> I, 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 it's a flexible standard. Oh, so I, I'm just no, but this is real. This is I mean, this I, is the perfect storm of conflicts of interest and journalistic integrity coming together. Is Cameron yes. Wolf, who accepts a paycheck from the entity he covers? Is Cameron Wolf, when the time comes to tell Roger Goodell or Stephen Ross who the witness is, is he going to say, you're going to have to fire me? And would he have a cause of action if he were fired over that? That's what's fascinating about this to me. It's very inside baseball, the, the, all of that that you but just said. you've got but to I mean, admit it's interesting. You have to admit no, it's, it's interesting. It, it, is, it is absolutely interesting. Yes, it, it is. It certainly is. But I mean, and I think we've said this on the show before here too, right? Like when I was working for different organizations as, you know, an in-house reporter, there's just obvious things that you don't touch, right? Or there's things that you just don't do. And so, I mean, I'm fortunate that I have reached a point in my career where I'm not necessarily doing that anymore. And I don't have people telling me things that I need to tweet because that was one of the things that I just realized I, I wasn't, I'm not I'm not built for that. So it is what it is. And most of the time, you know, NFL media reporters are able to do their job and report. But when it is a situation like this and when they are reporting on something as Cameron Wolf was reporting on, 
um, then that makes it an entirely different situation because, like you said, it, it, it does present a certain conflict of interest because Stephen Ross is a partial owner of the NFL media conglomerate. So, yes, I, I, I see what it is that you're saying here, yes. And it could go that way. If they're trying to find out whether or not Brian Flores is telling the truth, one way to find out if you're going to investigate this, I mean, it's pretty simple. They, they reported they were going to investigate this. Well, right. one of your employees knows of a witness who heard Stephen Ross say it. I'd like to think somebody's going to say to Cameron Wolf, can you tell us who this person is so we can properly do our investigation? We need you to tell us so we can do our due diligence. I'm just saying there's a way to get to the bottom of it, and I wonder how aggressive they will be. All right, the Texans still need a head coach along with a few other teams. They put the word out today to multiple reporters that Brian Flores is one of the finalists, along with Jonathan Gannon, the Eagles defensive coordinator, and Josh McCown, comma, unattached. Josh McCown of (laughs) nowhere. Josh McCown, who has, it's just funny when you see former Dolphins coach Brian Flores, Eagles defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon, and Josh McCown. There's no title. There's nothing. Former NFL former quarterback NFL is all QB, we got. Yes. That's all we got for Josh McCown. So, so, look, this one is very simple for me. Of course he's a finalist. They have to consider him. The thing that people don't realize when it comes to someone who files a lawsuit against their employer, you are protected against any type of retaliation. And a lot of times, Miles, the second lawsuit is better than the first one because for the first one, it can be very amorphous and confusing and how do I prove that there was racial bias and how do I prove that there was age bias or how do I prove that there was gender bias how do I prove that once somebody becomes a troublemaker ho 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 once once you go Woody Woodpecker and you're an agitator and a troublemaker and they target you for shunning for blackballing for holding you to a higher standard not letting you in the door those cases are easier to prove. So they can't just scratch his name off the list. And there are people out there who will respond to our social media posts saying, they have every right. They, they have every right to play. You sue me. You sue me. Am I doing it right? You sue me. Yes, yes they you go, don't know. Yeah. You have rights. You have rights. Thank you. You have rights. So, uh, of course, he's a finalist. The question is, will oligarch Cal McNair, oligarch by inheritance, Cal McNair, Go ahead and do what should be done. Hire the candidate of the three who actually has been a head coach in the NFL and won eight out of his last nine games. Oh, and beat the Texans along the way. Do you hire Brian Flores? Do you say, well, we'll make him a finalist, but I, I, I'm not going to hire him. Somebody else will. I think that's that's for the last 20 years with the Rooney rule. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, minority candidate, finalist. Uh, spent a lot of time interviewing. Nice guy. Like the cut of his jib. I still don't know. At age 56, I still don't know what that means. But, but I, I, I want to hire this guy instead. I'll let somebody else hire the minority candidate. That's one of the reasons why the statistics are so bad. Because at the end of the day, and Big Cat and I talked about this for a while this morning, you can't force the oligarch to do anything. And I yes. suspect in some cases the oligarch deliberately pushes back against the thing he feels like the league's trying to get him to do just to show that he can. So... You know, I think Brian Flores will continue to be a candidate and he'll continue to get passed around like a hot potato from team to team until it becomes so glaring that he isn't getting a job that it results in another lawsuit. 
Well, look, I mean, this is the kind of thing that we were we were even talking about yesterday, right? When you ha- when you are the owner of a team and you have FU money, you get to say, FU, I'm going to do whatever it is that I want. So right now, yes, the Texans can say that they are considering Brian Flores as a finalist for the job. And we can all react by saying, sure, Jan, I'm sure he is, because that's kind of the way I feel about it. Look, John McClain reported, oh, was it a week ago, almost a week and a half ago at this point, that Josh McCown is the front runner to get that job as head coach of the Houston Texans. I don't really get it. I don't understand why. But if that's the case, then I think that they should just do it. You know, stand by your own convictions and just go ahead and hire him. And at this point, it feels like the Texans are just waiting until there's like that perfect moment where they can just dump the news and then run away. And then maybe we'll all kind of forget about it for a little bit because something else is going on in the league. And the problem that, you know, they can't do it right now is because Brian Flores is in the news about the team's hiring practices. So it's like, well, why are you then going to go and get somebody who is ostensibly not qualified at all to be a head coach in the NFL when there's only 32 teams, right? There's only 32 of these jobs. Like this just is not a very good look right now. So they've got to wait until they can just kind of do it like a news dump and then they'll probably do it. But I just want you to do it right now. Houston Texans fortune favors the brave and the bold or whatever the hell it is that Matt Damon says in that commercial. Pyramid scheme time. Go buy crypto. Buy as much of it as you can so the price of the crypto that I purchased will be boosted as high as possible and then I will get out and you will be holding the bag when it crashes. Cut of the jib comes from the 17th century. In those times, the shape of the jib sail on a watercraft often identified a vessel's nationality and hence whether it was hostile or friendly. That's where cut of the jib comes from and it refers now to the overall appearance that someone has hey i like the cut of his jib or i don't like the cut of his jib all right uh, before i take a break can I, I i need a uh, uh, i need you to indulge me because i've had a rough couple of days oh, yeah, i was salty yesterday you right no today i'm doing better i'm feeling pretty good right now pretty 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 good let me tell you why <laughs> first of all i've been real stressed about having to travel and the alcohol and the marijuana have really helped, frankly, in the last 24 hours. <laughs> but I'm flying out on Saturday into COVID country, a.k.a. Los Angeles. But, it's really but not. You, you may have heard that I have a book coming out on March 15th. It's called Playmakers. Miles had a copy behind him at one point. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. Now he's ripping out one page at a time to use <laughs> in the bathroom. Uh, I got word from the publisher that because of advanced sales, they had to, add, they had to print 5,000 more of them. I have been so concerned that no one is going to buy this piece of crap that I pounded out on my laptop between literally election day and inauguration day. This project was my safe space from November 4 to January 20, 2020 into early 2021. Every night. Working on it, working on it, working on it, so I wouldn't worry about the world going completely bat crap crazy, which it almost did two weeks before I finished the book. But uh, 5,000 more ordered. So uh, I'm happy about that. I'm happy. I, it won't last. That's cool. So I'm going to enjoy it while I can. Yeah. Let's take a break. Something that won't make Daniel Snyder happy, the hybrid roundtable hearing from earlier today at Congress, uh, what was said and what Snyder had to say in response to it. We'll talk about that when PFTPM continues. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. I learned on one specific occasion that when I was asked by my boss to attend a networking event, and oh, to dress cute, it was actually an orchestration by him and Dan Snyder to put me in a compromising sexual situation. I learned that placing me strategically by the owner at a work dinner after this networking event was not for me to discuss business, but to allow him, Dan Snyder, to place his hand on my thigh under the table. I learned how to discreetly remove a man's unwanted hand from my thigh at a crowded dinner table at a busy restaurant to avoid a scene. I learned that job survival meant I should continue my conversation with another coworker rather than call out Dan Snyder right then in the moment. I also learned later that evening how to awkwardly laugh when Dan Snyder aggressively pushed me towards his limo with his hand on my lower back, encouraging me to ride with him to my car. I learned how to continue to say no, even though a situation was getting more awkward, uncomfortable, and physical. I learned that the only reason Dan Snyder removed his hand from my back and stopped pushing me towards his limo was because his attorney intervened and said, Dan, Dan, this is a bad idea. A very bad idea, Dan. That's Tiffany Johnston from earlier today testifying at a hybrid roundtable at the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Oversight and Reform. That image on the screen is the statement that was issued later in the day by Daniel Snyder. Here's the most important part of it. He says that the allegations leveled against me personally in today's roundtable, many of which are well over 13 years old, are outright lies. Outright lies. Now, the allegation that directly impacts Daniel Snyder is the idea that he was sitting next to Tiffany Johnston at a dinner, put his hand on her thigh, left it there until she physically removed it. And then after the dinner, he tried to jostle her into his limo and she eventually saw an opening to get away. And she did. That's significant because throughout all of this, there's been no specific allegation of misconduct involving Daniel Snyder other than a case from 2009 that was settled involving alleged misconduct on his private jet coming back from the Country Music Awards in Las Vegas. That was the subject of some litigation as to what information Beth Wilkinson could get while she was doing the investigation. So this, this is something that is new because the NFL has zealously hidden everything that was found by Beth Wilkinson during the investigation. And here's why it's important that Beth Wilkinson create a report or that whatever she told Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner and others at the league office verbally be repeated. Because even if she didn't make a report, she still created notes. Lawyers preserve things. Lawyers want to be able to come back later and see what they found when they did their work. They don't shred their files. Now, in this case, maybe they did. But this is why it's important for the NFL to tell us what Beth Wilkinson decided, because she was the one who was hired to get to the bottom of things. So if you have Tiffany Johnston saying he put his hand on my thigh and left it there until 
I had to forcibly remove it. He tried to jostle me into his limo. And Daniel Snyder says, when he's asked by Beth Wilkinson, if he did what he did, outright lie. Then it's on Beth Wilkinson to follow leads, to talk to other people, to try to corroborate it or debunk it and ultimately come to a conclusion, whether it is she's telling the truth, he's telling the truth, or inconclusive. We don't have the benefit of that. We don't get to know what the person hired to conduct the investigation concluded about whether or not Tiffany Johnson is telling the truth, all because the NFL is covering it up. Why? To protect Dan Snyder, to protect other owners who may find themselves in this predicament in the future, and I ultimately believe to protect the league against the inevitable question of what did you know, when did you know it, and why in the hell didn't you protect these people if you knew what was going on? That's what the NFL is trying to avoid. And the harder they try to hide it, Miles, the harder I'm going to bang on the table for them to give it up. And right now, here's what we need. What did Beth Wilkinson conclude about Tiffany Johnston's accusations? What did she conclude? We're entitled to know it. She's entitled to know it. Congress is entitled to know it. Yeah, um, that that testimony, you know, that we played coming in from break is is absolutely harrowing. It, it really is. And it's compelling. And, you know, I I find it credible. Now, again, it's accusations, it's allegations. And Dan Snyder has denied them categorically. But I think you're absolutely right. This is something that was investigated. Right? It's not something that we now know needs to be investigated. It was investigated, but we were not presented with the findings. Right? They, they basically news dumped this, the, the Washington football team report, um, back in July, right? right before the 4th of July weekend. And when you do that, and when there is no written report created after we've seen things like deflate gate, get all kinds of pages of written reports. This to me is something that's way, way, way more serious and something that frankly deserves to have that kind of written report. So we understand what the conclusions were from the investigation. And I think you're absolutely right, Mike, to continue to bang that drum. Because, again, it's not like this wasn't something that was investigated. It was. So what were the conclusions? Everybody deserves to know what those conclusions were. That's absolutely right. And it was, from a PR standpoint, an expert move. Thursday, July 1, heading into an extended 4th of July weekend, they dropped this thing. And I remember I remember when I saw that the conference call was going to be handled by Lisa Friel that I thought it was something else I thought I, I thought you know I could, whatever other controversy was percolating I didn't know what it was I had no idea when they called the conference call it was going to be about the Washington football team because I thought Beth Wilkinson would be the one to tell us everything and I thought there would be a report and they have been disingenuous and disingenuous is a fancy way of saying lying it's like when you really don't want to reduce yourself to what the common folk would regard a situation like this. I'll go ahead and do it. NFL, you have lied repeatedly to everyone about why you haven't revealed this information. And you are taking the victims of this situation, using them as your own personal human shields so you can say, well, these individuals have requested anonymity and we must protect that anonymity any way we can, which justifies our decision to give you absolutely nothing. 
Now, can I have my $65 million? I think I earned it by standing up and saying that to all of these reporters who want me to admit that we should release this report. That, that's the reality here. And the NFL only has itself to blame. And this is where karma comes into play, I think, if karma works here. All I ever learned about karma was from My Name is Earl, so I could be wrong. Anyway, the, have you, are you familiar with that show? That wasn't in the yes, 80s, so you must be familiar yes, with My Name yes, is Earl. Yeah, All right. Yeah, so, so, uh, so anyway, uh, I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, it worked. It worked. They dropped the information on an unsuspecting media July 1. Right. There was some pushback. I, I, I pushed. I pushed as hard as I could. By the time we got to the end of the 4th of July weekend, nobody cared anymore. Nobody cared. It was gone, it was over, it was done. It stayed that way until early October. It stayed that way until somebody decided, we're going to get John Gruden. We're going to get him. We got some emails here. Oh, those emails are secret. We can't reveal any of this information out of respect for the people who requested anonymity. We've said we're not going to, oh, yeah, 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 the hell with that. We're going we're gonna to release these because we got to deal with John Gruden. Whoever came to the conclusion we got to deal with John Gruden, dealt with John Gruden, and lit the fuse on a bomb that is still exploding for the NFL. And good. To all of this, I say good. Brian Flores' lawsuit, good. The claim that Stephen Ross offered him $100,000 to deliberately lose, good. This, good. These are all points that needed to come up at some point. These are chickens coming home to roost. These are any other metaphor you want to throw out there. This is overdue because there is corruption baked into the system that we otherwise don't pay any attention to because we love the product. We love the bright, shiny objects. We are so hypnotized by the bright, shiny objects that we never pierce through that glow and that glare and get to the cancer that is affecting the National Football League. And people say, why do you hate the NFL? I'm going to repeat myself, but this is important. I don't hate the NFL. I love the NFL. And I love the NFL in part because of all those propaganda films the NFL put out in the 70s aimed at making kids like me think that the NFL is special, that the NFL is different, that the NFL stands above all other institutions, that it is a thing of greatness, of perfection, a thing that should be aspired to. Well, you got a generation of kids who think that's how it should be. And when you, I almost said the other word, screw up, I think somebody's got to stand up and say so. Because it's too easy to just, you know, we're like cats. They're dangling a thread in front of the cats and we don't pay attention to the mess that's all over the house because all we care about is that little bell or that thread or that, that, that red light that's going around. They, they distract us with their product. And they can get away with whatever they want to get away with. Well, I'll tell you what, until they kill me or get me fired, they aren't going to get away with it on my watch. Sorry, ran over. Well, the, the other thing that I, I would say about um, that oversight committee roundtable, I guess that's what they called it, is that there was a one point where uh, one congressperson, and I forget who it was, asked each of the women who was there to testify how often the harassment happened within that building for Washington. And each one went and said it was every day. It was pervasive. It happened to me every day. You know, whether it was somebody who had worked there for a year or somebody who had worked there for five years. There was one woman who said it was this many years. So however many days that is, times that year, that's, that's how often this harassment happened to me. And so when there's something like that, you know, and these women are in front of Congress 
telling us all how badly they were being harassed. That's something there, right? And I think that those women deserve to have some sort of written report told because think about, think about it, Mike. You know, we're seeing Washington yesterday reveal its new brand, its new name, the Commanders. And Dan Snyder's up there, you know, touting, oh, this is a good day for us. This is a new start. This is, you know, we respect our history. And now look at this and look at these beautiful uniforms and da-da-da-da-da. And imagine if you're one of these accusers, to see him up there saying what he's saying when there basically have been no consequences for all these accusations and there was an investigation and there's no report, I, I cannot imagine how that must feel. I really can't. Today's hearing is a great example of how broken our political system is, how tribal it is, how predictable it is. The Democratic members of that committee asked questions aimed at painting Daniel Snyder and the organization in a negative light to justify pressure on the NFL and ultimately legislation that would protect people coast to coast, sea to shining sea from these types of incidents in their workplace. The Republican members of the committee used their time to grandstand on why aren't we doing something about the border crisis? Why aren't we doing something about inflation? Why are we wasting time hmm. on this? It was laughable. It was laughable. One of them, it was one of disgusting them even, It was disgusting. Me. And one of them even used the slur that, that that team has now changed its name, but said, oh, well, they're just always going to be this name to me. So I'm just going to say that. There's a reason why. And to do that in Congress, to just use a slur. It was really, really gross to me. I really didn't like that. But through it all, it seemed to be that even the most partisan of the Republican members of the committee, and this is, I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. My point is it's so predictable, both sides. It's so predictable what the Democrats are going to say. It's so predictable what the Republicans are going to say. I don't know how in the hell they get anything done, frankly. I don't either. But, but they all seem to agree that this is a problem. Now, the yes. argument was, it's something you should take to court. And some of the questions was downright offensive and unrealistic. Why didn't you go to the police? You're going to go, they're going to go to the police because Daniel Snyder put his hand on someone's leg. You're going to go file a criminal complaint. You're going to give up your career, a 24-year-old woman. It's ridiculous. You're going to go sue over something like that. Or are you just going to find a way to get along and go along? Because you're working for an NFL team. You accept it. You get through it because life becomes a hell of a lot harder when you decide to fight. Because what happens if you decide to fight Daniel Snyder? He's going to drop every bomb on his arsenal on your head. So anyway, I'm pissed off. now. I was in a good mood. Can we talk more about the advanced sales playmakers? I had me back in a good mood. <laughs> Or, or the beverages I'm going to drink as soon as we're done in 12 minutes. Let's take a break. When we return, a new suitor possibly has emerged for Aaron J. Rogers. I have no idea if his middle initial was J. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. Where will Jimmy Garoppolo play in 2022? We break out the crystal ball. Not the crystal meth, but the crystal ball. Good. That's very like good. That. That's very good. I didn't see your reaction when I said it. Your reaction's priceless. 
I knew. I, I did it for your benefit. I knew. I knew that it would get you. There we are. Oh, hey, good. hey, uh, Miles. Let's cook. Yeah. Nah, All right. There you go. Uh, Aaron Charles Rogers here. <laughs> it's Aaron. Aaron Charles Rogers. Vominos pets. Vominos pests. Vominos pests. That's the name of the uh, their their front when they decide to to do defumigation or fumigation mm-hmm. one or the other you either defumigate or fumigate when they do fumigation for pests they cook isn't that great how creative is that vince gilligan great. genius they yeah. go into people's houses and they pretend to fumigate while they take over their houses for temporary meth laboratories that is is brilliant i need to go back and watch that series again all right it's aaron charles rogers by the way ah. uh, and i will never forget that even though i would like to so there was a report yesterday from 102 Five, the zone in Nashville. It's always the zone or the fan or the Joe or the Jimmy or the whatever. It's the zone, 1025, the zone. Rogers has purchased land in Franklin, Tennessee, one of the suburbs of Nashville, and he's Ooh. open, open, per sources, open, not me. This is the report, not me. Don't get mad at me if it doesn't happen. Open to the idea of playing for the Titans. Ryan Tannehill may not be open to the idea of surrendering his seat and $29 million salary fully guaranteed. million cap hit if he's traded before June 1. That's a lot for the Titans to deal with. But, hey, look, all due respect to Tannehill, you take out Tannehill and you put in Rodgers against the Bengals, Titans win. You take Rodgers with the Titans to Arrowhead for the AFC Championship, Rodgers have a chance to win. So, you know, I, I, I think that Rodgers should stay in the NFC if he can. But if there's any team to go to in the AFC, it's the Titans. They're in a position to rule the AFC South the way the Packers rule the NFC North. Oh, well, first of all, the, the Kansas City Chiefs would have come to Nashville for that AFC championship game. That's true. Game. You're and absolutely yeah, right. Because, I yeah, stand corrected. One seed. Exactly. So, I mean, look, I mean, if I'm Aaron Rodgers and I have interest in going elsewhere, then yeah, the Titans would probably be on my list. I mean, they have a talented offense and they've got somebody in AJ Brown who I think can develop into one of the best receivers in the national football league. You've also got somebody like Derrick Henry, right? Who can run the football as well as he can. So it's not totally out of the question, especially because the AFC South is dog water kind of, right? And like, I mean, I understand that the Colts have all these pro bowlers, but they didn't even make the freaking playoffs. So I think that certainly if Rogers had interest in going to the Titans, that's something that Tennessee ought to explore. absolutely and uh look you can make it work they'll make it work if they want to make it work they'll find a way to look at the way the rams did it yeah the only team in the afc that aaron Rodgers should want to play for because jaguars twice texans twice colts twice number one seed again they got the number one seed without aaron Rodgers. they get the number one seed with aaron Rodgers. all right let's take a break more pftpm right after this Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. 
Rick Stroud, Tampa Bay Times, said this earlier today, hearing that Bucks offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich is expected to remove himself from consideration for the Jaguars' head coaching job soon. Former Raiders interim head coach Rich Passaccia and former Eagles coach Doug Peterson remain strong candidates. Uh, I had heard yesterday, and we wrote, I think it was yesterday, the days have blurred together on me, that Leftwich is out and Peterson is in. That was the scuttlebutt. Basaccia has interviewed, and I think Basaccia has reason to believe that maybe he's a viable candidate. This all came down to Trent Baalke, and the Byron Leftwich made a power play. He'd take the job, but he wants Baalke out. He wanted Adrian Wilson to be the GM. There was a report last week from Mike Jarecki that that's what was going to happen, and maybe it was at one point, but Shad Khan has decided to stick with Trent Baalke instead of hiring someone who could have come in. What's Trevor Lawrence got to think about all this? What are you, mm-hmm. dysfunctional teams doing dysfunctional things, Miles? It sure is. But you know what? Good for Byron Leftwich, man. I mean, especially as a black man, there's only so many opportunities that you're going to get to be a head coach. And if you don't feel like it's right, then there's no way that you should go there. You look at what happened with Trent Balky in the end of his tenure with the San Francisco 49ers. You had Jim Tom Sula get fired after one year. You had Chip Kelly get fired after one year. You can go even back further to what was going on with Harbaugh. And he also got fired after having a wildly successful tenure there. So this is somebody in Byron Leftwich who in his three years calling plays has had two quarterbacks, two separate quarterbacks, lead the league in passing yards. And Tom Brady threw for 50, excuse me, 40 plus touchdowns two times in his career. First time was in 07 when he had those 52 um, with the New England Patriots, and they should have been uh, the Super Bowl champions, but for Eli Manning and the helmet catch. And then now you had it with Tom Brady, with Byron Leftwich, 40 touchdowns last year, 43 this year. Look, I don't understand why you don't want that guy to run your program and to get Trevor Lawrence to where he needs to be, but they don't want it, so that's fine. Hey, Miles, we're running out of time, but you know, this just further illustrates something that has become very clear to me in recent months. Just because somebody makes a crap load of money in some other business does not qualify them to run a football team. They need a different structure. It should not be that these are the playthings of the mega rich. Because just because you're rich doesn't mean you know what you're doing. I'm a firm believer they need to migrate to corporate structure and qualified people to make these decisions. Because I'm sorry, Shad Khan, you're not qualified to run an NFL team and the proof is right in the middle of the pudding. That's it for today. See you tomorrow morning for PFT Live. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.